Okay, okay we're gonna. Okay, here we go, everybody. Yep. This is Bar Crawl Radio number 16. Today's podcast will be speaking with City Council person Rafael Espinal about his initiatives to improve bar culture and to green up the city. And we'll be talking with Nathan Lentz, science author and podcaster, about this wreckage we call the human body. And we have some mystery guests coming along the way. But for right now, we, Becky and I, and Alina, are sitting on the porch at Gabriella's Restaurant and Tequila Bar. That's West 93rd Street and Columbus Avenue. It's midsummer, and Becky McKean and I, Alan Winson, uh, and our friends, and uh, Lena Larson, are going on an Upper West Side margarita crawl. Yeah! Yeah, this will be the first one. Yes, a real bar crawl. This is the first for Bar Crawl Radio. For our first 16 programs, we settled down at a favorite bar for an hour of conversation with interesting people. But today, we are going to three bars for conversations with several interesting people. Along the way, we are going to check out the margaritas. At the end of the program, we will ask our crawlers which was their favorite margarita, or Margie, if you like, and why. Maybe announce the best margarita on the Upper West Side? Yeah, mm. gotta be careful. We don't, don't wanna know. make any enemies. Salud! And so here we are. Yeah. Alina and, and Becky, we're at Gabriella's Restaurant Tequila Bar. Yes. And you know, it's also called Elizabeth's Neighborhood Table. Yes, right. And uh, they serve a nice brunch with farm-to-table food. Right, from farm-to-table food. So yeah. local, local foods are right. brought here. And you know, they had guests that were kind of from the other restaurant, because that was another restaurant, yeah. and they encompassed it in here because the guests came to them and they said, we want that food still. So they kind of created it for them. So embedded within Gabriella's restaurant, Tequila Bar, inside it, inside a stomach of it, exactly. is Elizabeth's Neighborhood Table. Yeah, where and you I can guess, get that and menu. And they have brunch. So we, we, maybe we can talk to Liz about mm -hmm. that, who we, who we met several weeks ago. Nat yeah. and Liz Milner. And their son, love this name, yeah. Huckleberry Milner, was the voice of Dash in Incredibles 2. Did you see, did, wow. Alina, did you see Dash? My son saw two, yeah. loved it. He loved one, so that's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So we, 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 want to, we want to interview Huck. Huck, Huck Milner. Huck, yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. you imagine, though, how heady it would be for a, a young man like that? He's doing voiceover work with Samuel Jackson and Holly Hunter and Yeah, he's probably Craig really D. stuck Nelson. up. He's no, probably not a nice guy at all. No, I don't think he's not well, from the way we, the mom we, talked. We, we, need, we need to meet him. I think, I think his son is at your son's school. Really? Computer I do. school? I think so. Oh, think okay. Well, is. then I will find that out. Right, we have to do some Huckleby, casting. Huckleberry. Yeah. <laughs> Huckleberry Not Milner. Not Huckleby. Huckleberry Milner. Incredible story. Okay, they call him Huck. Find that out. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk. you'd love the mom. And we're going to talk. I'm sorry. I'm done. You. It's right. okay. We're going to talk to one of the servers here at Gabriella's about their margarita and about their tequilas. And uh, we're going to be doing that next. And we're finishing up our first margarita and already feeling a little tipsy. But first, before we talk to uh, Rafael Espinal, we wanted to uh, talk a little bit to someone, an official here at Gabriella's, who knows all about the tequilas. Thank you. And knows all about the, um, the margaritas and find out what's going on there. So we are uh, talking now to Gustavo, who is a server here. Yes. 
uh, at uh, Gabriella's uh, restaurant and tequila bar. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tell us about your um, the margarita. What what makes the Gabriella's margarita the unique the, the, on yeah. the Upper West Side? Okay. First of all, we use a very good quality tequila. It's a hundred percent blue agave Weber. So we use fresh ingredients like a fresh lime juice, um, triple sec, and our tequila. Um, when I'm saying about our tequila, we have our own tequila that we produce in Guadalajara, Mexico. Gabriela's produces its own tequila. Yes, it's Gabriela Single Barrel. Oh my gosh. Gabriela Single Barrel. It's just a couple of restaurants. Not too many restaurants have their own tequila. So we produce in the barrels that you can see outside. We produce like a three or four barrels every five or six years. So in we have the um, Gabriela Single Barrel. We have like a traditional Mexican bottle with ceramica, it's, made, it's handmade. We work with Casanoble tequila. Casanoble tequila is a very good quality tequila. Okay. So what is about our experience in good margaritas in Gabriela's? We use everything fresh. We don't use any um, sour mix or anything like that. Right, right. No so, crystal light. So I, no I, I, crystal light. You can wake up the next day, <laughs> no hangover, no headache, like no nothing. That. So what is tequila? What is it made from? Tequila, it's a word that came from Mexico. So the tequila is the name of a small town in Guadalajara, Jalisco. That the name came from there. Okay. So um, the tequila is made from agave, 100% blue agave. What is blue agave? Blue agave, it's like a plant that is just uh, grow up in just kind of regions in Mexico, Guadalajara, Guanajuato, uh, just fine states. So we produce uh, the agave has to grow for 10 on 12 years. Oh. So it has to be the fields has to be with agave, we grow up 10 years. After that, after 10 years, we cut the leaves and we leave the piña, the piña that we use to make the, um, the tequila. It's a big process. It's gonna take too long to tell you, but you have a big process. Okay. And what is this, what, is, what do you use in, in, in this? your margaritas, what tequila do you Tequila, use? we use the silver one. The, the silver, silver one, okay. we think is, is the best for the margaritas, for margaritas. because um, the other you can enjoy by itself. Right, which I understand is the way you should drink tequila in any case. It's like a cognac. It's something that you drink slowly, you sip. That's right, because many years ago in Mexico, you see the Mexican movies, people just drink tequila and, and just like that. It. Yes, yes. It and it was people just to get drunk. It means actually it was in the Mexican charro, that movies, but nobody appreciates the flavor of the process of the real tequila is. So now, in many years ago, people is, is famous because the tequila is has to be taste. It has to be a smell. You have to put in your palate and taste uh, all the flavors. Because imagine you take a shot that it has to be in the barrel for two years and you drink like that, and right. after you kill with another thing, no. That's kind of give, rude. Give, give it a chance, man. <laughs> let, it, let it do what it's supposed to do. Alan, um, right. the manager dropped off. Yeah, the manager just dropped off the taste um, treat here. The uh, do you know frozen. What this is? Yeah, that's margarita frozen. frozen. It's lime. Okay. So we want to taste it. this. Okay. Taste is very good. Salud. Mm. Salud, salud. salud. In Mexico, salud. salud. Oh. oh, that's nice. So refreshing. It's refreshing for day. this summer. <laughs> this is yeah. This this is not traditional margarita when it's frozen, right? People they call because uh, people they say the traditional margarita is on the rocks, but you know we make like a stray up. It means no ice, but we make like a frozen. So we have three different ways of margarita. Right. 
Thank you very much, Gustavo, for no, giving us all information. We understand that at Gabriella's you do have a, a tasting of tequilas, and yes. if you ask for it, you can learn how to taste tequilas. You can learn. We have made a taste. So you have to ask for that and about the tasting, and so you can enjoy it, and you can try a little bit of each tequila. Of each of your really good, good tequilas here at Gabriella's. Really? Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you again. So and, and one more salud. Salud. Every, salud. Everyone. Salud with my right. Right. Enjoy. Thanks for inviting me here. And this is Bar Crow Radio. We're coming here from Gabriella's Tequila Bar and Restaurant here in the Upper West Side, 93rd Street and Columbus. City and State Magazine rated Rafael Espinal as one of New York City's, quote, 40 under 40 rising stars. I guess he heard that before. Mm -hmm. As District 37 councilperson, he oversees Bushwick, Brownsville, Cypress Hills, and East New York. And he joined the city council in 2013 when he was still a teenager. Did Honey, you know that? What? He was 29. Uh, 29, okay, that's, that's close enough to teenagehood. Born in Bedford-Stuyvesant to Dominican working-class parents and also union members who were also immigrants to the United States. While on the city council, Mr. Espinal has been pivotal in repealing New York City's antiquated cabaret laws and in creating New York City's Office of Nightlife, charged with preserving New York City's iconic cultural scene. Councilperson Espinal is now pushing for green and sustainable solutions in our city. So there's a lot to talk about. But first, welcome, Raphael. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being oh, back. Oh, it's so great to be back. And we had you before, about maybe three months ago, four right. months ago. And we were talking then, at that time, you had just been uh, pushed through this cabaret law and getting it banned so that, so that we can now dance at uh, Gabriella's if we, if we wanted to. Tons of people just spontaneously dancing in joy. That's yeah. great. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question. Sure. How's the margarita? The margarita is great. It's actually really pretty tasty. It, it is good. All right, right. Give, give us a little description of why it's good. What do you think? Um, because we're, we're going on a crawl now. And it's we're not gonna, too sour. Yeah. Not it's not too, too sweet. Uh-huh. I think the all the flavors are balanced. Do you taste the tequila? I can taste a little bit of tequila. Just bit. enough to taste how good it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So so do, do you have any good Mexican restaurants in your district? Um, we do, actually. We have a bustling Mexican scene that has been moving into Bushwick over the past 10 years. Uh, so you do have a lot of small, hole-in-the-wall, mom-and-pop um, Mexican restaurants. Uh, but then you also have the, the you know larger restaurants where you can go in and go with your family and order a margarita. Right, right. The next re restaurant we're going to, uh, Casa Mexicana, is smaller than this. Gabriela's is quite, this is a big place. It's almost yeah. an institution on the Upper West Side here it on is. 93rd Street. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty great. It's pretty yeah, it's, uh, impressive, actually. Yeah, yeah. And they, they get really wild and crazy here soon <laughs> and, and on, on the weekends. So let, let's move on to some serious stuff here. Um, and and th that is banning plastic straws. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pretty. I mean. I mean. It's, it seems kind of like like nothing. But notice that in all I of know. our drinks, I'm not using except, them. Though. Except for yours. I forgot to did, ask. Did you ask them to not give you a plastic straw? So I am guilty of forgetting to ask yeah. not to give me a straw. So if you look, you do my have drink, a straw. Yeah. There a is a straw, a straw at the no, table. Don't. <laughs> don't ruin my image. Yeah, please. But it's just a reminder. It just hurts. It hurts. It hurts a little bit when you forget to do that. Of course. To ask. Of course. But you know. But it, that's okay because it was made and it was going to go in someone's drink. So what you're doing though is starting a movement so that eventually 
it won't be made. Right. So we're looking to reduce the amount of straws that are being used uh, here in New York City, but also across the country. Um, there are 500 million straws estimated to be used every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of those straws do end up in our waterways and in, into our oceans, in which in turn, a lot of our sea life ends up uh, eating the straw, or as we saw this viral video that went out recently of a turtle yeah. with, a, with a straw oh, we, up we, we saw that video. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, started, I started watching it again. I, I couldn't watch it. And it's really sad. I could not it's, watch it's it. It's crazy. I can't watch it. I mean, yeah. uh, people ask me, why don't we recycle straws? But the problem is, is that when this goes into a recycling um, station, they, the, 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 the machines there can't pick up the straws or don't recognize it as a straw in the, oh. the turn. So they pick up other plastic pieces. But it's so small. And it also may not be of a high enough grade that makes it a, st a, a plastic that can be recycled. The problem with plastics is that there's three levels. Of, of, of grades of, of plastic that's recycled. The first level, you know, and, and people won't buy the third level. People right. will, and so it ends up going into landfills or into the ocean. Yeah. Anyway, eventually plastic is going to make its way to the ocean. As long as it's made, that's my tirade. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there so we ma go. Ma mayor, uh, the mayor is uh, supporting you on this? Yeah, 100%. Actually, 24 hours after I introduced the bill, he went publicly and said that uh, the straw has seen its final days. So what so. was the inspiration that led you to doing this? I mean, no one on the city council was doing that. You decided to pull the straw. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> plastic pollution is a huge problem, uh, not, only, not only here in New York, but across the globe. And um, the plastic straw was actually recently banned in Seattle. And when I saw that happen, I thought that why not New York, the largest city in the country, exactly. uh, lead on this, this conversation. And, you know, I think it's important for also New Yorkers to understand that um, the reason we look at, we're targeting the straw as well is because it's a simple switch we can all make as consumers and also for businesses to phase out uh, without actually disturbing your quality of life on a day-to-day -day basis. And this will yeah. also raise awareness. You know, once you get rid of the straw, I people start thinking about their lids, they start thinking about their cups, they start thinking about the bags. And right. So one, one thing will kind of lead to the other. So because if you actually put together how much plastic is in a straw and those 500 million, it probably is not a great percentage in comparison to all else. But, it's but just, it does raise awareness. It's it the does. beginning. It's the beginning. Right. And also, too, though, I heard that there was an issue with um, certain, certain people um, that are handicapped they need the straw in order to you know, drink. In order right. to drink. This was brought up right. on the Brian Lair show uh, right. yesterday, yes. in fact. Yes. And that it might be embarrassing that they might have to ask for a straw. Yeah, so my, the way my, my bill is currently written um, requires for restaurants to have plastic straws on site mm -hmm. uh, in, in the event that uh, a handicapped person does, uh, needs a, a plastic straw to drink their drink. But there are concerns that um, they don't want to have to feel as if they're this special group that's being singled out because of the need of the straw. So what? Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm. What's your answer to that? So we're we're having that conversation. We're trying to figure yeah. it out. Um, I am trying to pitch to them that there are compostable straws that exist, uh, and they act just the same as plastic. So they're they're in the process of yeah, seeing paper straws. Paper straws are mm -hmm. difficult for them because uh. they, a, a, a lot of folks do end up chewing on the straw when uh. they, when they sip on it. Uh, so we're, I'm trying to pitch the compostable straw angle. Uh, but if not, and we can't find a solution, then I think the, the next big move is to only provide plastic straws on request. And, and, and yeah. the thing about it is, too, is that um, for that, that community, there are already accommodations created for them. There's special um, restrooms, there's special, there's ramps for them. So um, I would think that, I mean, I'm not someone who's in that group, so I, I, I shouldn't really talk for those people. But 
just that, that there's already accommodations and that they shouldn't feel any you know, different at all. I think that this is also important to note that there are no laws in the federal, states, or local level that um, pertain to plastic straws being available to the disability community. So I feel that any law we pass that recognizes the community and recognizes the fact that they might need a straw is a, is a win for the community yes, as a whole. Absolutely. Not only here, but across the country. That's I've also heard point. that straws can be, you can have, they do, there's reusable straws. So you can actually carry a straw with you. You can. There's a ways of cleaning it. Our, our, our grandson, he has a straw with a an, inside his glass, and we clean the straw. Yeah, right. It's a so I mean, um, you know, and he's not embarrassed about but using you the were, straw. But you you just said a combustible straw. Compostable. 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 Uh, compostable. Yeah. Sounds okay. good. So it's not paper, though. It's not paper. It's, it's made from plant-based materials, okay. usually corn or avocado. And that's where plastics are moving to, anyway. Right. Exactly. To, yeah. So McDonald's actually recently uh, reached out to my office because they're going to phase out the plastic straw. Great. And move towards the plant-based straws. So you've been talking directly with McDonald's. We have. We have been having those conversations. So we're going to see a lot of big corporate companies, which we have been seeing already. Well, Starbucks. Uh, continue to join the movement. Yeah, Starbucks recently got rid of their green, or going to get rid of their green straw and move to these sippy cups, yeah. which I think people are really excited about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the iconic Starbucks green straw. Did you say a guacamole straw? There is a guacamole straw. <laughs> Before well, it becomes guacamole, though. <laughs> well, maybe we can, like, you know, get it pushed up in, in, with like the tomato that. and the I onion. Like and, wow. Alan gua loves guacamole. Gua guacamole yeah. straw. Me too. All right. You're, you're also going green in other ways in that you uh, are pushing for urban agriculture. Right. Um, and it, it, this is all such great stuff you're doing. Uh, can we talk about that? Uh, sure. Uh, council member Espinosa. I mean, this is, I think it's important for us to start thinking about how our cities can become more sustainable, right? We're talking about the effects of climate change. We have a federal government that's currently rolling back all of these EPA standards. Yep. Yep. And what can cities do in order to push back against that, but also to be leaders around the conversation? We can't just think that the federal government is going to solve all of our problems. Our problems are solved right here at home. Yep. It's Locally. All, it's all about Locally. the local. Exactly. Start, act local, think global. And that's what I've been doing since Trump took office, to be honest, and where a lot of these Act local, think global. Think global. Yeah, it's great. Right. Yeah, um, so I have a bill that require every single rooftop in the city to go green. So instead of having those black tar rooftops that we're used to, that are about 120 degrees when we're up there, uh, I'm, I would like for my legislation to push developers to start implementing green roofs, um, which have shown to lower temperature by over 20 degrees. Uh, wow. Also, be a space where people can grow food and fruits and vegetables. We see this in, in Brooklyn. There's a great group called Brooklyn Grange that every year harvests fruits and vegetables and sells them locally. So and it harvests from the roof? From the roof. You can buy it over in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, so if you want to make that trek out to uh, the other side, you should. You should. And I, I assure you, you'll have the freshest fruits and vegetables you can have made right here in our city. Technically, how difficult is that to, to uh, create a green roof? It's it's not it's not difficult because the, the 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 people who are able to do the work exist already and they've been doing this work across the globe. Uh, Toronto already has uh, legislation that has passed that requires green roofs in their city. San Francisco passed a similar ordinance. Um, Denver as well. So we're kind of behind in the conversation. And yeah. I think that being the concrete jungle, uh, we should look at how we could become like the next green oasis. That's okay as long as we get on board. And how cool would it be 
if you live in a building that has a green roof and you know maybe it's a commune or something and you're like paying for this whole structure to happen and then you get the vegetables right I mean, and I think it's, it's also important to note that a lot of developers a lot of folks believe that this is going to drive up costs on their buildings but in reality this is going to drive down the cost of maintaining that building right. uh, you don't have to re replace your roof in, the, in that average 10-year lifespan because because of the infrastructure that's currently there protecting your roof from the sun and the weather uh, the the cost of cooling your building down drops significantly because the green roof does cool your building down and, this, and in the winter it's insulation so wow. your apartment is actually warm. It, it, it sounds win-win-win all the way down. Win-win-win across the board. We just need to yeah. go that way. Yeah, we right. have to go that way. We have to convince New Yorkers. And is it really to. expensive to kind of put something up there on a roof? It's about $20 per square foot. Oh. To um, start. Estimated, correct. The That's city really actually nothing. has incentive programs that people can buy into, but not enough folks are aware of them, but they're also very restrictive if you decide to tap into them. You know, that's cheaper than some hardwood, you know, that you put on a floor. I mean, that's not that much, really. You know, when you think about it in the long run, it's not a lot, and it'll save you lots of money down the line. Okay, today it's kind of stormy, a lot of wind. What about wind turbines up on the roof? Wind turbines. So what my bill actually does is uh, gives developers and building owners the option of choosing one of the three. It's a green roof, it's wind turbines, or solar panels. California recently passed a law that the, in the entire state that every roof has to have a solar panel. So we're giving options here in New York, and I hope that people can tap into it. Wind, wind turbine would work great along our waterfronts. We are, we are a, a waterfront city. I think people forget that sometimes. And it, it, there's opportunity there to create energy, real uh, sustainable energy. Yeah, so, it, it really looked cool, too, to have wind turbines up on our roofs along with the water towers. Right. Yeah. So I have a question. How does this get passed? Does the council have to pass it, or does it have to become a referendum? The city council has to pass it, and the way New Yorkers can get involved by call, calling the local city council member and telling them to sign on to my bill and uh, create awareness around the issue. So is Helen Rosenthal on board? Uh, I haven't spoken to her yet, but yeah. she has been a great ally and great partner well, on a lot of these issues. Tell her that Bar Crawl Radio supports everything that supports Rafael Espinal is doing. Absolutely. We'll do, right? Absolutely. We'll do. This is Bar Crawl Radio. We are at Gabriella's Tequila Bar and Restaurant. We're on a bar crawl, everybody. And we're talking to Councilperson Rafael Espinal from District 37. And I have a question. I have a question. So how do you think the Democrats are going to do in the fall elections? Um, I don't know if everyone read Donald Trump's tweet recently where he's claiming that Russia is going to help the Democrats win the elections this midterm. I think that in itself is a signal that they're worried about how, how they're going to perform and oh, Democrats so, okay. are actually going to win a lot of the seats. That'd be nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you uh, had um, stopped the cabaret laws. Has anything gone on with that? Has there been any pushback on that? Um, is it going forward? Do you know that dancing is happening in yeah. bars in Harlem? Yeah, so, so the, the law was repealed. Um, we had a great victory there. A lot of the, the cultural spaces and uh, the nightlife community and dance community are very excited about this new era in New York City. And I believe there's a lot more dancing going on uh, across the five boroughs. Uh, there's still some issues with to overcome. Zoning plays a big um, role because now in order to open a nightclub, you have to be in certain zones in the city. Right. But I do believe that enforcement has dropped. Uh, more people feel comfortable to get up and and wag their tails in the Mexican <laughs> restaurants across the city. There you and go. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a great time, I think, to be a New Yorker. We are going into a gov governor's race, uh, and the primary is coming up soon. And it seems to be a race between uh, Cynthia Nixon and um, Governor Cuomo. 
I'm not asking you for who you're who you're supporting. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I realize that you probably wouldn't answer anyway. But um, if we talked about Cynthia Nixon, my I have one two questions. One, does she have a chance in heck to winning the primary? I think that we are in a very we're in very different times when it comes to politics and how elections are run and uh, the amount of turnout we're seeing from communities that usually don't come out and vote. So I think anything is possible. No one thought that... Even at this point, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Oh, I agree. No one thought that uh, Joe Crowley, the congressman, was going to lose to a 28-year-old newcomer. Mm -hmm. uh, so that in there itself shows that there are people who have never voted before who are mobilized, who are inspired by the recent election of Donald Trump to come out and change their local governments. Right. So anything is possible, um, and not only here in New York City, but you know, it's an entire state. And when you look at the numbers, upstate New York came out very strongly in favor of Bernie Sanders. Uh, so Cynthia Nixon could tap into that same electorate and get people out to come out. Right, and I know our, our co-producer, Lena Larson, is going to a fundraiser as soon as we're done with this, uh, this recording Nixon. for yes. Cynthia Nixon. Yes. Um, you're not supporting her, but is there, are there any of her uh, platforms that you um, would stand behind? Well, I, I was a big Bernie Sanders supporter, so I do believe in the whole conversation of uh, battling income inequality and finding ways where uh, our city, state, and federal governments can uh, provide a, a better uh, better opportunities for, for everyone in this country. So I do stand behind a lot of what she's talking about. Anything um, particular? Legalizing marijuana. So all right. That's a great right, start. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're have. so behind the ball we on are, that one. We are behind the ball on that one. Yeah, um, it seems like we're moving forward in that. I mean, I, Cuomo is kind of on board with that, isn't he? Yeah, he's kind of on board, but it's been a slow transition and a slow yeah. move towards it. I think that there has been uh, a lot of fear and anxiety of what this might bring to our city. But honestly, this has been happening across our country for many years. There's no studies showing that this is going to devastate our local cities and local communities. So this is a win-win for everyone, you know, especially communities of color like the ones I represent. Um, who, will, who, who, who've, been, who've been criminalized who've been and penalized, penalized because yes, of penalized. this exactly. silly thing Crazy. called marijuana. Right. Exactly. I think it's time that uh, we turn the page of that chapter. You know, prohibition was, was at one time a thing in the 20s. Exactly. You know, let's, yeah. let's look at marijuana the same, the same way. Yeah, the marijuana prohibition has been going on for a long, long time. I asked you this, the last, this is my last question, um, the last time you're here. Do you have any uh, further political, um, you know, desires as you <laughs> move forward? You're Ambitions. on your city council. Uh, I think you were state assembly. Because we want to work on your campaign. I'm 34 years old. Uh, this is my last term in the city council, and I would love to continue representing people here in New York City. At so what I, level? Citywide. 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 So all the upper Borough west presidents sides, west okay. and come out okay. and vote. Uh, right. Rafael Espinal. Well, Barco Radio will will endorse you. <laughs> we we, we endorse right now, Rafael Espinal. Amazing. Absolutely. Right. Thank you. So thank you, Rafael. Thank you, City Council person of the 37th district in Brooklyn. It's always fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me and wishing everyone a happy tequila day. Uh, oh, there that's right. Today is tequila day. Because yeah. we have to finish our, our margaritas here before we move You're off behind. to Casa Mexicana. Salud. Thank you, Rafael Espinal, city council person of the 37th district in Brooklyn. It's always fun to talk with you. And thank you to Gabriela's owners, Liz and Nat, for hosting us. This is a great Upper West Side Mexican restaurant and bar. Amazing selection of tequilas. Rafael Espinal, you are invited to join Alan and Alina and me and the rest of BCR Margarita Crawlers as we head uptown to a small Mexican bar and restaurant. Casa Mexicana. Oh, Casa. Casa? Casa? Casa. Casa Mexicana. Casa. <laughs> on Casa. 103rd Street, 
and Amsterdam Avenue, we will be talking with scientist and podcaster Nathan Lentz. He recently published a book, Human Errors. It is both entertaining and disturbing. Yes. Alan. What, 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 what? Did you know that you are mostly worthless garbage? Oh, come on, babe. Let's not get personal here, okay? <laughs> it is personal. Oh, God. And here, here we, we go. go. Okay. Okay, we made it. We're crawling on Bar Crawl Radio, and we're now at Casa Mexicana. We're on West 103rd Street in Amsterdam. This place is a lot cozier than Gabriella's. It's smaller and really quite friendly. Lovely. Um, we're sitting in an oval-shaped bar. The front wall is open to the street, and the majestic American Youth Hostel building is right across the street. Gorgeous. And we're starting on our second margarita. Um, skull, everybody. Salud. Let's go. Salute. Salute. It's a good margarita. It's a little strong, but it's good. All right. Oh, well, strong is not we'll, bad. We'll, we'll, strong is not we'll, bad. Not we'll, bad. <laughs> and that's Nathan Lenz, and uh, we're going to be talking to him extensively in, in a moment. But, Becky, go ahead. Oh, we want to welcome the manager and bartender here. Okay, let me say that again. <laughs> Don't they know we're on the you, radio you know, here? You know what it is? It's tequila day today. It's New York. Uh, ah, everybody's celebrating. It happens to be tequila day. We picked the perfect day to have a uh, margarita crawl. Yeah, you did. Yeah. We want to welcome the manager and bartender here at Casa Mexicana, Leo, to talk about his margarita formula. Leo, welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know what? This idea for a margarita crawl occurred when we were on our way to the airport to go get on a plane. And the driver of our of, of one of those shuttle buses stopped right there, and he was waiting in for in front of the American Youth Hostel. And we had to wait a long time. He was apologetic, but he, but we were all kind of waiting, and we had plenty of time. So we saw you guys across the street. It was meant to be. And we ran up. We said, well, "Okay, we're so gonna go attractive. get a drink." <laughs> I mean, the bar is so nice. Hey. It's like this open bar, and yeah, yeah pretty much. So it's nice with the nice open storefront. You know, like. You, caught your attention and unfortunately they stopped right in front and uh, hey we're here I know. now and we ran over and we said hi and we just really liked this place thank you guys and i said we have to come back here thank you and you did yes. and, and and we did and here we are doing a bar crawl here so so we were just at gabriella's which you know yes on uh, 93rd street in columbus yeah. correct uh -huh. and we yes. were going to go over to uh mexican festival but, but obviously we not can't happen. We, 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 we can't go there yeah. so um we've had two styles of margaritas all right uh your margarita is very different than theirs uh, i don't know if you ever tasted theirs let me get a little closer to the mic well pretty much our margaritas we just keep it simple like uh there's not too much about it you know just it's a natural uh, uh, traditional margarita just triple sec lime juice and tequila Yes. None of that fancy uh, nectar or other additives or other ingredients. We just keep it simple. It is what it is. A margarita is a straight margarita, triple sec, tequila, lime juice. There's no other way about it. I mean, and like the everything else is just being fancy. How long has uh, Casa Mex Mexicana been here? It will be uh, four years, September 12th. And, and have you been here the whole time? Long. Yes, I have. Right. It's a great little spot. Mm -hmm. um, and the food, we haven't had it yet, but it smells so nice. Hey, what like was that there? Those people over nice, there are getting. Uh, those are the, the uh, traditional fajitas. Pretty okay. much there. Oh, uh, of course. It's uh, cups on a hot sizzling skillet to, uh, with uh, sauteed onions, peppers, mushrooms, zucchini, broccoli. You get your rice and beans on the side, your flour tortillas, and crema mexicana. 
which is like uh, the Mexican version of the sour cream because we don't use sour cream here. We use crema mexicana, which mm -hmm. is more authentic and different flavor. Uh -huh. And for the fajitas, you get uh, options of uh, uh, grilled skirt steak, chicken, sauteed shrimp, or uh, salmon. It smells um, so good. Shrimp and steak, that's what I do. <laughs> shrimp and steak, no, no, no doubt about it. Land, land and sea, right? Right. Exactly. So is it, is it fun working here? It seems like it'd be yes, it great, is. especially it's in the great. summer. Pretty much like yes, like I'm a, the, 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 it becomes repetitive after a while. But to be honest, I like the whole like uh, mingling and socializing with different customers, and especially being right across the street from the youth hostel, we get different people from all over the world. Oh, I all bet All over you do. the world so is right. It's a yeah. lot of diversity here. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. On top of our our, our our regular customers, our normal customers coming in uh, like on a regular basis or a couple times a week, I have regulars who come here about three four times a week. Right. You know, well, we, we we've been here a few times. You could, they yeah. just come in, stop by, say hello, and they leave. That's it. But it's very interesting the people that we get from across the street. Right. Well, you, you were you were very great, really great to open up. Mm -hmm. You know, to be so op open hearted to let us come and do this uh, this show, this crazy, silly, wacky uh, bar call radio. I have to be honest, this is the first time I'm doing this. Yeah. So uh, I was a little like iffy about it, but uh, you know what? I gotta try new things. And it's, it's okay. It's fun. Right? It's fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 Thank you right. so and so much. And Thank this you. is bar crawl radio at uh, Casa Mexicana. We're on 103rd Street and Amsterdam Avenue on the Upper West Side of New York, right across the street from the American Youth Hostel. And we're speaking here with Leo, the manager of the restaurant. Thank you very much for inviting us in. Your margaritas are delicious. Yeah, you guys gotta, you guys gotta come and try them. So I uh, hope to uh, see you guys here soon for dinner. Oh, you and will. I hope your listeners come oh, by. We're also. already planning a birthday party. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. Thank you, Leo. Now, let me introduce Dr. Nathan Lentz, an expert on the broken shards of the human physique. Dr. Lentz is a professor of biology at John Jay College and the author of Not So Different, Finding Human Nature in Animals. He has appeared as a scientific expert on a range of national media, including Today, NPR, Access Hollywood, 48 Hours, Al Jazeera, America. And he has just written a new book, which we're going to talk about tonight. Welcome, Nathan, to Bar Call Radio. It's my pleasure. First question. What do you think of that margarita? I think it's a great margarita. As I said, it's a little strong, but that's uh, the way I like them. So somebody got the memo. Um, yeah, good margarita. Good, solid margarita. Okay. Yeah, it's, right. it's good. It's very refreshing. It's very refresh. And that's what's great ice. about a margarita. Lots of yeah. ice on a day like today. You I appreciate it. that. Okay, two points before we get started. Mm -hmm. First, we are not scientists. Mm -hmm. So when we were de developing the questions, mm -hmm. they're coming from non-scientists. That's great. That's my audience for this okay. book. Yeah. Oh, good. Good, very good. Much. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, it read that way. It was very, very approachable, very easy to follow and understand. Thank you. I mean, I had to maybe read some phrases, you know, some uh -huh. paragraphs or, or sentences a couple times. That's all. That's all. Just to. <laughs> just I think we should mention that that Nathan also does a podcast. Right. And I listen He's not to only all a scientist podcasts. and a professor, but a podcast called The World of Humans. Thank you. And yes, you can uh, find it on iTunes, and we also are broadcasting it on Upper West Side Radio. We yeah, are. I'm so glad to hear that, because I, as I was saying before, I lived uh, for a few years on the Upper West Side. It's my favorite neighborhood in New York, still is. Yeah, it's nice. We have to say, we're so happy it ended up uh, that we got to live here. Yeah. But I have to tell you a, a, a secret. Mm -hmm. So I, your book was really um, very approachable. Good job. So I listen to a lot of your podcasts, and they're, they're pretty much, you know, I can follow them, okay? But there was one on the DNA. Mm -hmm. um, um, I forget the name of the doctor you, you interviewed. Dan Grauer. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But so what happened was is that you guys were talking too fast for me. <laughs> it was just really too fast. So you know what I did? You know how you can change the speed? 
And oh. I kind of did it accidentally. To halftime? I did. Oh, that's funny. And you was very funny. You should listen to yourself, Espy, because you all sounded totally drunk. You totally sounded drunk. Yeah, that's yes. what I'm imagining. But when I edit this, really I'm going to put though. it in. <laughs> it's really funny. Oh, that's great. I'm going to have to go home and try that. You have to listen to <laughs> you it. Have, you I've always wondered how I sound drunk. You have your drunk history? Yeah. No, I have watched drunk history. It sounds yeah. like well, drunk history. Oh, but you're great. actually much more intelligent than the people on drunk history. <laughs> but even like, and especially when someone's laughing, mm-hmm. it's like, and welcome to this world of humans. I'm your host Nathan Lentz. Your producer is Sam Anderson, and today we're gonna talk about our genomes. Sam, I'm sure you know what a genome is. Yeah, it's something to do with our DNA. That's right. It's the full complement of DNA inside I'll have to, each I'll one have of to our suggest cells. Suggest that to my listeners if but they're if they're having a hard time following. It'll just be, try it and it'll slow it down. And it will work because when you slow down, I was like, I I grasped. It. Well, it's you're not the first person to say that I speak too fast. Even after 20 years of teaching, I sometimes uh, am told that I speak too fast. The problem is we get excited. Scientists get very excited about our work, yeah, about yeah. about other people's work, and and you understand and the implications, it. and especially I'm very particularly interested in that topic, junk DNA, and I've written a chapter about it in my own book. Yeah. So yeah, we get we get away with ourselves a little bit and, and get carried away, and we're. We're talking about exciting things like DNA. <laughs> well, and the other point, I said there was two points. The other point besides the fact that we're just not scientists is that um, your book was great. We really enjoyed it. Thanks. And it's just a lot of stuff. A lot of so stuff, So we had yeah. to focus. Mm-hmm. So we are focusing on junk DNA. Sure, let's do it. Yeah, so that's what we're going to ask you about. So my, my, my first question, is it really true our DNA is just filled with crap? Yeah, and um, it, it's definitely true you're that... Not, you're not offended by my use of the word no, crap. No, no, no. In <laughs> fact, um, so the term junk DNA was originally um, uh, coined as an insult to the idea that it would be useless. Um, and like so many other things that started off as an epithet and it's been reclaimed as a, as a badge of honor, um, a lot of scientists aren't shying away from the word junk or crap or useless. It's or come around. And, yeah. I mean, Obamacare was originally an insult, and then um, the Obama administration there, adopted it. There you go. The Big Bang, that, that term was used as an insult for the idea of uh, cosmic inflation. Yeah. But it, now it's stuck. So junk <laughs> DNA, um, has, has, as a term, has come into its own. But uh, one thing is for certain, there's a lot of DNA that does nothing but reproduce itself. And it's it, the molecules, of course. It's they kind of the, it's kind of like politicians <laughs> or, or human beings. <laughs> well, you know, in a sense, yes, because everything that propagates itself has an advantage over things that don't propagate themselves, right? So if yep. you if you if you view the world. As Even a, if you're as a useless, place of competition. Yeah, especially if you're useless in some cases. <laughs> um, and so our genomes are a little bit like that. It's like a microcosm of the world. And so some sequences that we're really good at reproducing themselves. Even sometimes when they cost the host something, if they really, if they're so good at reproducing themselves, they will do that and they will take over the genome. Um, there's a limit, right? Because at some point it starts to really harm the host, and when you harm the host, you harm the parasite as well. So it's a balance, but we have a great deal of junk DNA. Not the most of any species. There are some plants that have 
you know, hundred times more than we do. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just, That's and plants amazing. seem to plants seem to be especially tolerant of this useless DNA and duplicated DNA. They're chill. Um, yeah, I think I'm not sure why. Actually, I bet you, especially the agave plant is chill. The agave would but be chill. But I have, <laughs> I have a back question. to the tequila. I want. I'm gonna. We're gonna pull you back. Well, that's the theme. The yeah, theme is the theme. margaritas today, <laughs> and tequila day. Okay, so I'm gonna pull you back, mm-hmm. and, and for for our listeners too, we really do care about you. Yeah. We want to ask you. So, you say in your book that the genome has been mapped, and it's been mapped most recently much quicker. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to say that the genome is mapped? Does that mean that there is? I want to ask. You, I want to see if I'm right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that the scientists have been able to identify the function of each part of the genome? Or are they just identifying the nucleotides? The latter, for sure. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we have the code in the sense of the the order of nucleotides, A, T, C, G, 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 C, G, T. Okay, so they figured that out. They've done that since the early 2000s. It's like hieroglyphics. Um, And they're starting to appreciate the differences from person to person. But in terms of ascribing function to all the little bits and pieces, we're really still at the beginning. Ah. We're still at the beginning. So first of all, only about 3%, 3%. Not 33 percent of the genome actually has genes in it, right. right? And we haven't we haven't mapped all those out in terms of what they do. So let alone the other 97 percent. Okay. Now there's but some, some argument. Some of them. Some some of it, yes. Yeah. So so a lot of the genes we know what they do, and a lot of the non-gene DNA we know a little bit about what it does. It certainly is regulatory. Um, but actually, let's let's. This is best if we put this to scale. So let's consider one gene. Okay. There's actually, even in the gene itself, only a small portion of the A's and T's and C's and G's are actually information. The rest of it is instructions to the cell on how to use that information. Oh. So if you imagine um, you get an uh, entertainment center from Ikea and you have the instructions, right? But in addition to the actual pages with the drawings, there's all this back material and front material that most people just skip right through, right? And there's, all there's, the small print. Yeah, there's yeah. warnings. There's make sure you do this first. Okay, okay, there's, okay, um, okay. If you have wood studs, you know, there's all this little stuff that most people <laughs> ignore. Well, that's how genes are, too. There's all this stuff that's not really the juicy part of how to code for a protein, but actually instructions, fine print for how the cell should use that and when the cell should use that information. Um, and that's a lot harder to understand for us because but we're just learning how the cell, we're just learning the language of the cell, let alone understanding all the messages. I mean, I think it's amazing that they even understand that much. Yeah, it's, well, it's very slow, painstaking work. I mean, I've been looking at DNA sequences since the, the 1970, uh, 1990s, excuse me. Ni- about 1997 was the first time I looked at a gene. Like so letter, what are you drinking when you're like looking at the gene letter to letter? <laughs> um, is it wine? Is it red wine, it, it, no, white no, no, wine? It is definitely not alcohol because you don't need any help glossing over uh, your eyes when you're looking at A's and T's and C's and G's. It's usually coffee. Coffee is the, uh, I think, the gasoline of the science. It sounds choice. like it's like looking at computer code. It's a lot like looking at computer code. Isn't that and amazing? It is. And, and parallel? You get, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because on their own, they mean nothing. They have to be in a context. They have to be read by something that understands that context. So it's very much like computer code. I just had an epiphany. Let's hear it. <laughs> uh-oh, I have uh-oh. been taught <laughs> in terms be good. of coding Especially with the <laughs> that, that, that the, the, the coding is telling the computer what to do. And it's been re- referred to as like a dog, like giving instructions to a dog. Mm-hmm. So the coding is giving instructions to the human dog. Yes, in a sense. But also, one thing you have to remember is that there's not one kind of human cell. 
right? You have a brain cell, an eyeball cell, a right. lip cell, a, yeah. a Bone big cells. toe cell. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of the instructions that we require for our genes are just telling it which cell and when to use that information. And that's the part that's a lot harder for us to figure out. That really is... It really has to be figured out gene by gene. There's no quick way to do this. Wow. So it's easier to tell what the gene does than how how it does. Yes, exactly right. So because I mean, you could do very crude experiments in other species, not in humans, but in, in fruit flies and other things like that, where you just simply remove a gene, see what's missing, see what happens. Yeah, and so you get some clue of how it functions. Mm. But that doesn't. That just. That's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how to understand what that gene was. Okay. Right, what, what blew my mind, can I, can I just throw in yeah, here, go ahead, go ahead. Is, is how, okay. oh, there wait, goes, wait, there, wait, there wait. goes the garbage truck. truck. Yeah, yeah, wait, okay. Is um, how evolution works, because evolution, yeah. genes, mutations, they all work together. That's right. And over millions and millions of years, who, who said that? Millions of years. Billions. Carl Sagan. Billions. Carl Sagan. Yeah. Billions, yeah. Of Billions of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he was great. That all, all the different possibilities, or many of the possibilities, I'm sure there's even more possibilities, kind of happen. Mm -hmm. Some of those possible combinations, the CGTAs, those combinations are useful, mm -hmm. and some of them are not useful. Right. And so mutations mean change. We take yes. the normal thing and we change it, mm -hmm. and we can change it all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. And some of those ways of changing it, they, they work, mm -hmm. and then that, that individual goes on it and has a baby. Gives, gives the mm -hmm. genes, gives the baby, yeah. and that baby has mm -hmm. the genes, and it works, yeah. it keeps working, and, and, and therefore we get better. Or it doesn't work and it kills them. Right, that, that's, a, that's a good summary of how mutations work. They're random, uh, they occur, but they're occurring all the time. In your body right now, if you listen real carefully, you can hear some mutations <laughs> you happening. Can hear I, th I, think, I think I'm feeling it. Yeah. I'm feeling Especially it. Especially as um, we're drinking this tequila. Right. Uh, the good news is <laughs> the that... The tip of my nose is mutating right now. <laughs> well, but see, if that were to happen, you wouldn't pass it on, right? So only the mutations that happen well, not at this in point, your no, sperm right? and eggs actually matter. Yeah. If you get a mutation in your nose, you don't pass that Go on. Go for only it. Only the sperm and the eggs. Only the sperm and the eggs. Go for it. So uh, especially with women who are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have, yeah, these right. mutations are actually happening when you were in utero. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So you're born with all the oh eggs you're ever going to have. W women are, yeah. Men, we keep making the sperm. We're, that's, we're good at that. We're good yeah. at that. Whatever. <laughs> la, la, la. Uh, but, the, but the point is, though, that... Yes, that a lot of random lightning strikes are happening all the time. Most of them are bad. Actually, most of them are neutral. A fair number of them are bad. Occasionally, very rarely, a mutation happens that enhances the function of something, gives it a slightly better or new or different function. So what's an example of that? Well, so if you can imagine um, the, uh, the, first, the first fish that started to, say, gulp air, all right, these are called lungfish. Uh -huh. uh, they live in very shallow pools. Well, if they had Sarcogen. a... Sarcogen. Oh, well, I knew it at one point. Never uh, are you an ichthyologist in training? I <laughs> am a teacher, and oh, I did okay. teach this... Sarcopterygii uh, or something yeah, like this. Yeah, okay. The Montessori yeah. teacher, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, the point is, though, that if they had a slight mutation that brought their fins under their body just a little bit more than outside their body, and remember, this is within the natural variation, mm -hmm. then they could actually lift themselves up a little bit better, and each step, if you will, that they took would be more efficient, would be longer. They could actually travel from puddle to puddle and survive. Oh, oh Nathan, I get this. What an advantage they would have. Especially the male lungfish to getting to the female. If that's, well, if that was the challenge they were facing. But another challenge they could be facing is escaping a predator, uh. finding new food, um, or just going to a different pool to spread. So a slight variation in where the fins were would then take over the lungfish population within a, a couple dozen generations because it had such an advantage. Another mutation makes the 
the little lobes a little bit bigger, and so on and so forth. And if you keep going with this, pretty soon you have legs. <laughs> so wait, so those do those environmental, I mean, those ad adaptations, mm -hmm. mu adaptation mutations, occur randomly and then take off exactly. quickly? Yes, yes. So, and, and you're, you're very close to an important point I have to make when I'm teaching is that the environment doesn't create the mutations. It simply selects for them when they randomly happen. So if you take When humans, they randomly happen and when they work. When they work. When they're so, effective. Right, so you could have a random mutation that, give, that is beneficial in one context, but it comes up in a different context. Like for example, humans, uh, if you're of European ancestry, there's a good chance you're able to drink milk all through your adult life, which is actually very unusual in the history of the human race. Most humans on the planet, especially in historical terms, stop their ability to drink milk after age, after weaning, it's age four mm -hmm. or five. And they drink um, beer in the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah. So randomly, some very ancient Europeans, uh, and this has happened in Africa and some other places as well, a mutation happened that allowed them to continue to drink milk. Well, that mutation must have been happening all the time, randomly, the same way it happens anywhere, but it made no difference. But when you were farming and you had cattle, probably goats actually at the time, that were traveling with you, your ability to process that milk as an adult suddenly had a huge advantage. So when that lightning struck, they were ready for it, and boom, now we're all milk drinkers. And uh, now I get... Those, those, some of us. <laughs> and now I get the random mutations, mm -hmm. because it's, always, it's almost like a search engine. It's always looking for, is this, is this what we need to do? Is, is this, this what we need to right. do? Right, and it's random, it's aimless, but when it does happen, it, it, it's sort of like chance favors the prepared mind. You might have heard that, that axiom. Same thing here, mutations are always happening. It's only when the environment is just right to take right. advantage of it that then it fixes but in the, the population and you have evolution. But the mutations have to keep happening in order to catch. Yeah, and that's why we're all, we're all mutants. Every one of us is slightly different than every other. I mean, you could have the same breeding pair create a million children and none of them will be identical right. except for identical twins but even they you know have differences okay right? this is bar crawl so. radio we're at mexican we're at casa mexicana are we stopping on 103rd street no we're not i'm just doing a station identification you have to do station id yeah. yeah we have to do that you mentioned mutants yeah so my question is probably really kind of irre irre irreverent ir or irrelevant is you know there's all these mutant uh, uh, movies out there, mm -hmm. and is if, if mutations could happen anywhere and there's all possibilities and all everything is open to possibilities, why can't I see through lead? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, see through lead. I, I don't. I think that's beyond the capacity. But to get, to, I think to get to your point is why don't we see sort of superhuman uh, mm -hmm. mutations occurring? Well, yeah. Well, I've always wanted to be Superman. So. Well, if you think about it, we have. Yeah, I was right? going to say. I mean, if you compare your cognitive abilities to the next best living thing's cognitive abilities, mm. are we not Superman to a chimpanzee? Yeah, right? I mean, I, would I, mean there's I could see you got this question from your students. No, so. no, I, I didn't. It's an interesting idea because every species probably has its ideal Superman of what, what features they wish they could have. Uh, and it would be different. But we live a lot in a lot of similar ways as chimpanzees, but we do everything they do better, pretty much. Except for maybe Well, we define things, better, but, too. Uh, and we do, right. So we're giving out the yeah. awards, so of yeah, course we're true. the right, best. We're, we're, we're the Academy Awards, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so we know what's better. But no, I have to true. say, you know, also in terms of, well, not maybe an ability to think deeply, but, I mean, my students know more about atoms mm -hmm. than Benjamin Franklin. Yes, by know? far, by far, yeah. 
I mean, I don't know what that means. No, but well, because well, no, I think it means a lot because that's introducing the concept of cultural evolution. And I think with our ability to transmit so much information gen from generation to generation, we've been freed up from sort of the savage life of the wild in terms of natural selection. Natural selection does not operate on us in the same way that it does every other creature on this planet because we have the ability to solve our problems in other ways. And we have CRISPR, and we also which is coming and up. We have CRISPR, but we also take care of each other, I think is an interesting thing. I mean, hmm. um, we ha there are fossils of, of ancient hominids, two million years old, uh, that had lost all their teeth and, and survived for at least three or four more years. So that means somebody was, because with no teeth, Oh yeah. Out there, yeah. two million years Somebody ago, what were you doing? Somebody has to mush up their food. Someone was chewing their food for them. Yeah. For years. Wow. So is this genetically so based? I, it must be. I think we have the instinct. But, but have you found? Um, have you found? We're, we're, we're Leo here, the uh, yeah. bartender, is asking if Nathan wants another I one. I think go I will have one more. Go, this go is right such ahead. An interesting conversation. Go 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 <laughs> go right ahead. Um, um, yeah. So so the social uh, genetics. One salt. Um, what did you just ask him? That's with salt. With oh, salt. Uh, oh, salt. Con, con salt. Yeah. Well, how did you say that? Say that again. Con sal. Con sal. Uh, okay. Con sal. Of course, salt. I know that from Mr. Martinez, my Spanish teacher in high school. <laughs> con <laughs> sal. Who he had a crush on? Senor Martinez. I think proud. I had a little crush on Mr. He Martinez. Bro, he did. He had a man crush. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Do you have another one? I, I, I have lots of questions. Okay, that's but, uh, that's the problem with talking okay, with glasses. Nathan here. I have a question. We just my Alan's sister, who's with us following us on this bar crawl and Jared is following us. Yeah, Jared's and here and he's been feeding me with some uh, and guacamole our, and, and our chips. daughter Tuli, yeah, and our daughter Tuli <laughs> and our son Harry are crawling with us. They just brought over You're some You're making me want to crawl with you. When, when's the next one? I know. We're going <laughs> well, to We're going to talk about it. the next one. We have a big story that's brewing. Oh, great. So for our I, next bar crawl. Excellent. I have a question. So, is it possible that the scientists in terms of the um, you know, this idea of the gibberish that is junk yes. DNA simply don't understand that you know that maybe yes. it does have a function maybe they just don't get it so obviously that's a huge worry and when I when I was writing the chapter I'm like am I gonna look stupid in 10 years from now um, so so there's two things oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> no. I mean that's a given it's, it is a given maybe when if you, you keep drinking tequila if you don't go out on a limb a little bit what fun you know that's no fun yeah so so, so there's two things uh, two that we have to separate one um, the purely parasitic DNA, I think we're pretty safe to say it doesn't do anything. However, uh, a study just came out two weeks ago, so this is hot off the presses. Whoa. Yeah, one of the major uh, repetitive DNA, not the biggest one, but the next biggest one in terms of number of repeats in, the, in our genome, called Line 1, actually does tweak embryonic development just a little bit. Now, huh. and, and so without it, we wouldn't develop properly. Now, one thing to remember, though, is that this function of it came about later, sort of a happy accident, sort of a, we fell backwards into it. Uh, that's clear, because we know the origin of line one, but to me, that's even that's even better, that's an even better story, right, right. because our ability to make use of junk <laughs> um, it is really the story here. So so if it, it, we've Recycle. it's, it's like a junkyard where, yeah, where we've resurrected these cars and sort of polished them up. And because your chapter again. basically <laughs> kind of uh, uh, um, proposed that once it's junk, it's junk. Yeah. And the, the possibility of junk becoming useful is so remote, so remote. as to be un... Yes. Can't happen. This is what I meant about going out on a limb and then, and then it's and out then, there and, and then print for and then, millions to see. And, and then you yeah. fall <laughs> off, right? Yeah, right. but you know what? Uh, like I said, I'm happy to do it. I mean, the best 
is the worst outcome that we find new functions in our genome? I mean, that's a pretty good outcome. I'm okay with that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I'm okay because the uh, alternative would be that we're even worse than we thought. So I'm okay. Let's no. talk about CRISPR. I think there has mm -hmm. to be. Wait, but I have a question. Yeah, okay. I have, I have, but no, let's I, definitely get to CRISPR. Let's not miss it. I have kind of a complaint about your book, really, actually. Complaints uh, are welcome. Yeah. I, I don't understand how we could have the same number of genes as a microscopic roundworm. I mean, really. Well, no, we That's don't. Insulting. We don't have the same number of genes as a What do we a, have the same number of what? We, so we have the same How can we have the same anything? magnitude as a roundworm, let's say that. So uh, we have about 23,000 functional genes, something like that. Uh -huh. A nematode has... Um, I'm reaching a little bit here, but eight to nine thousand, let's say. Okay. So it's we have more, but but we have way. So let's say we have three times more. Okay. But we well, we're talking way a roundworm more here. than three times complexity than they have. Okay, yeah, I was gonna right. say. So I, we I mean, do come a on. lot more with the genes that we, we have. Oh, uh, we use our genes better. Well, yes, and we use them more and differently. The other thing to remember is that there are plants that have way more genes than we have. There are animals that have way yeah, more genes. than But we I have. believe that. I believe about the plants. Yeah. I mean, look at fungi with the mm -hmm. mycelium under the ground and how they communicate yep. with trees. There's something we They're don't know about very that. complicated, yes, and we're just beginning to understand that. Yeah, I, I believe that about plants. We oh. don't know plants. I'm sure we know nematodes either, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, because the well, simplest... Isn't our president a nematode? <laughs> I think he aspires... <laughs> oh, that's as far as I'm going to go. I think he aspires to nema <laughs> nematology. <laughs> he, just, he aspires um, to mediocrity. But the, uh, the, the nematodes are a great example because they've been a model organism for studying lots of things. So we've studied this little creature with 929 cells, I think it is. We know the fate of every one of its cells, and yet there's still huge unanswered questions about this tiny little thing that we've been studying for 70 years. Wow. Because, you know, it's like layers of the onion. Every time we think we have it figured out, something like CRISPR gets discovered. All right, let's, talk, let's talk CRISPR. Yeah. There you I mean, go. Like this, this technology is so new, it didn't, it didn't even exist when I was doing a postdoc. 14 years ago. Wow. It was never even in the realm of possibility. Quickly, what is CRISPR? So CRISPR is the ability to edit genome sequences at will. If like editing code on a computer. Very much like that, where if you know the sequence, you can design a very simple cut and paste, where here's the sequence you want to remove, here's the sequence you want to add, and it uses the cell's own machinery to do it. So it was first discovered in bacteria, and the big surprise was that, wow, our cells can do this too. So we have the ability to make these, these swaps. And it's cheap, it's fast, it's easy. I mean, pre previous like gene therapy, things like that were like big and bulky and like... And expensive. Very expensive. This but is now like falling off a log. I mean, it's, the e it's very yeah. routine. But Amazing. Nathan, we were just talking a few minutes ago about how the fact that scientists actually don't know what everything is doing. Mm. Is it and really now, now smart we're playing to go in and code. say, I'm going to change something? Well, I don't think you're going to see many very aggressive proposals to change the human genome anytime soon. I think the first applications of this... Unless you're uh, Vladimir Putin. Well, so th it's an interesting point because there are some countries that have very little restrictions on this. And U.S. pharmaceutical companies have operations in those companies for exactly that reason. Like, let's tool around and make our mistakes out here. Because we can't do it here, but we can do it there. Exactly. Wow. But, but I think the first applications of CRISPR that you're going to see are for what we call discrete genetic diseases that have one gene or even a single mutation. We know what's wrong with it. Really easy to fix. Cystic fibrosis, okay. hemophilia A. HIV? Um, no, no. So that would be that's different. too complicated. Yeah, yeah, that's a virus. That's a virus. So, oh, right, right, but, right. But, okay. but there might be susceptibility issues that we could, you know, enhance. And the and nice thing about HIV, actually, when you think about it, is that it inf infects one cell. 
So anytime you have a single cell you're dealing with, that au- that automatically simplifies the equation. Mm-hmm. But things like cystic fibrosis, hemophilia, so high sac s- disease, sickle cell anemia, sickle cell anemia, exactly. Things that have a single gene. Uh huh. How about Marfan? Marfan, yeah, and that's a I, dominant. I, I have Marfan. You have Marfan syndrome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, so and that runs the range of like debilitating to to relatively innocuous kind of conditions mm-hmm. right. that we could potentially cure with this. Now, if you want to make yourself taller with CRISPR, <laughs> that's a much harder problem, right? Okay. Because there's, we don't even know all the genes involved in height, and we certainly don't know how to safely alter them. I mean, we might make you taller, but also give you a, yeah, a see, horrible liver scary. disease. Yeah. Or, th- or yeah. third eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I think there's people, the mutant people are movies. worried about scenarios that won't, that won't happen anytime soon, mm-hmm. but it's good to be but cautious. But maybe in China. It's good to be cautious. It's good to be safe, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, like, what, what if CRISPR were, and in, in, in the far future, we're able to get rid of all the junk stuff that really we know doesn't do anything and we kind of, like, got rid of it all? Would we yeah. still be human? That's a good question. I mean, I think if, if, if experiments were done to remove large sections of the junk DNA, we'd finally have an answer to a question, to the question of what it does or doesn't do. Oh, there you go. Um, so it's an interesting experiment. But who's um, going to volunteer? Yeah, ethics. <laughs> ethically, I mean, that's a that's a problem. Is that you you're responsible for whatever you create here? So, uh, but in other other species, I mean, mouse m- mice have just as many um, just as much junk DNA as we have. So they'll do the so experiments we could, there. So we could do it with the mice. Yeah, and see what happens. See, see what happens. Like part of yeah. them kind of become invisible. So that just yeah. But the other thing you think about is that's what we know of of junk DNA is it mostly doesn't cause problems. So I yeah. don't think it'll be a big target for CRISPR right away. Also, CRISPR does small things, so okay. I think it's more of these genetic diseases. Yeah, I'm looking way, see. way. But in even the but things like eye color uh, and sex determination. Well, see, see, like all that. of that, yeah, all of that is leading me to this very, you know, social question. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so what if in the future you you can cure dwarfism mm-hmm. or you can cure um, 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 Down syndrome? Being stupid. Mm-hmm. Maybe <laughs> I mean. Well, <laughs> no, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, you're gonna have to take a back seat now, yeah. but. I mean, should we? Well, I mean, do, so are we suggesting like that these people don't have value? Right. So, so dwarfism is an interesting case because there are some forms of dwarfism where it really is just a single genetic um, allele or version that you could fix if you wanted to. I mean, I think um, if you t- speak to people in that community, um, they might not feel the same way that we do about that. About it. I mean, said, I don't know. They don't, course, might not consider yeah. it a disability at all. Right. Uh, the, de- the deaf community, for example, um, you know, this is their culture. This exactly. is who they are. They're not interested in being fixed. But the, um, it's hard to say that about certain debilitating conditions. Um, right, yeah. Right. right. And, so, and some forms of dwarfism are associated with a lot of other medical problems. Okay. So okay. it would be hard to say that this is just a variant that we want to keep around. And, and things like Down syndrome as well. So in addition to... Uh, um, the cognitive problems, uh, uh, there are also a lot of medical problems. People yes, with Down syndrome have very, very uh, short lifespans. Yeah. But that's not a CRISPR issue. That's a chromosomal issue. Like they have an extra oh, chromosome. So that's okay. a big one. Uh, um, and, and it wouldn't be fixed by well, it's also It wouldn't be fixed by CRISPR. It's also a social oh. ethical issue yes, that exactly. we're really talking about here. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, um, there Which was a headline a that said that Iceland and a couple of other countries have cured Down syndrome. And mm. the way they've done it is they simply abort all the, the fetuses that have Down oh syndrome. Oh, my God. Right? And so it's like, well, now, that's not, mm. regardless of how you feel about someone's personal choice on that matter, that's not what the word cure means. 
<laughs> no, it doesn't with the cure, but it is a social so, decision. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a social to create yeah. a certain population, yeah. Yeah. and, and certainly we do make those decisions. Yeah, and I wouldn't dream to make uh, that decision for a parent. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is that every person I've ever met with Down syndrome made my day a little better. So I, I don't know that mm. uh, you want to just simply eliminate and discard that. It's exactly. right. a matter right. of course. Exactly. Right. Right. And so that, and then that, you know, is the whole ethical discussion of mm -hmm. this kind of ability or what we're learning or what not I but scientists are learning and how to you know affect the human yeah and there has to be some perhaps some overview right and I, I love my colleagues in science but I do think that we all do well with having oversight and having other people question what we do and why we're doing it and I think that the conversations about the ethics of CRISPR and other forms of gene editing and gene therapy um, we should have. We should shed a lot of light on all of what these, so that each step is made after really careful consideration. Because we do want to help people with genetic diseases. I, I don't think we want well, to. there's the economic aspect to it too, right? Exactly. Because you do have pressures from, mm -hmm. you know, well, health families. corporations that mm -hmm. would like to take advantage of this situation, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then and then the access to it will be limited to those who can pay at least at first. That's how it's going to. Uh, in this country, that's how it plays out, right? Wow. Yep. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the decision. Well, are they paying then for the research and development? Then we make it available to more broadly later, or is that enough in and of itself? These are all conversations we need to have. It's um, very, it's very complex. Especially since our federal government seems to be backing out of research so much. Right. <laughs> um, we're going to leave these decisions to corporations if we let them. Do you I mean, see any parallel between social change and mu and cell mutation? I see a ton of it. Yeah. All right, that wasn't a stupid question. Okay, mm, that's an excellent question. In I fact, don't people get have it. people have talked about uh, if you take like religion or political philosophy or or economic philosophy as these are like little experiments that each country and nation yeah. state, even city states, were flirting with, and the most successful ones proliferated. Ones the ones that weren't died away. I mean, in a way, Trump um, is an exp is is kind of a mutation. Oh, that I happened in the political scene. Yes, and, and now we have there to is decide how to respond to this. Mutation. Now we're responding. We're not going to have it. any more Trumps. No more. We're not going to make babies. No, with no. Trump. But it, it, I mean, if you Here's were to apply, how is it going to play out? I mean, we, I, I don't think. I think it's too early to say that Trumpism is going to be eliminated. No, because quickly. it's been a, it's been around for. It a long does Trump time. become junk DNA? No. <laughs> I mean, I have he's my own feelings about it, but he's a retrovirus. We have some. Well, right, and then that makes him even more nefarious. And because he'll come back later. Oh yeah, and if it's, it's true. if it's it successful, if it's if it's successful, it will succeed. I mean, I know that sounds like a tautology, but that's that's how it works. Yeah. That's how natural selection works. Yeah, the successful things are successful, and so, and that I know that sounds circular, but it makes sense because it, you're talking about propagation. So if the United States, in bowls over all of its allies and enemies and the people here go on for it what's to stop it right right so we you need there has to be an active disengagement of that it has to be unsuccessful right and so i know it sounds like what why would you want to root against your own country well yeah. i don't root against the united states but i root against this version of the united exactly. states agenda yeah. because right. if it's successful we're all screwed together. Yeah. Another right. form of natural selection. Yeah. Here we have political yeah. selection or global selection. That's, or a, it's that's the an same, astute question Same now. principle. Very it's good. the same principle. Yeah. Kudos. I want to give a great big thanks to Nathan Lentz for joining us on our first actual Bar Crawl Radio Margarita Crawl. And a great big you're welcome and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Nathan, I was going to say you're invited to join us on our move over to a Mexican festival on Broadway and 101st Street. 
But we have a big announcement to make. Yeah. I mean, we just discovered, Leo here at uh, Casa Mexicana told us that a uh, Mexican festival has a, it, the doors are locked. It's been seized. It's been seized it's by, been the, seized federal by the federal government. And, uh, and Nathan for reasons read the sign. We're not quite sure. Nathan, now you read, read some sign. sign that it said something about non-payment, non-payment. Of, of taxes or something, but you yeah. never know. There's, I'm sure everyone's innocent until proven guilty. Actually, yeah. isn't that what they got Capone on? So, you know. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah, thing. They'll so get you on taxes. And want, also, it could not be about the taxes. Right. We right. don't know. We want to put out a great big, we're sorry to Mexican Festival's uh, manager, Gabrielle, who's been yeah. so kind to us over the years. Mm-hmm. And we were so looking forward hey. to getting over there and having their magnificent margarita. Maybe and they have a great guacamole. They had a great oh, guacamole, they which they kind of produced right there at the table right. for you. Uh, they had a mar- mar- mariachi band. Um, it was a real Who's kind it? of like a great night out yeah, at um, Mexican Festival. But we'll, we'll keep a watch on what's going on there. I'm sure they're going to return. So I think they're going to return. Nathan... Lens, we got to have you on Bar Crawl Radio. Yeah, yeah, we, want you full Nath- we want a full, we want You know where hour. to find me, Alan. I, yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, I do, I do, because uh, you, you work at the studio that I put together there at John Jay College. Uh, I want to talk to you about the knees and the ankles and the brain and the Lots more. earlobes yeah. and everything. And the, and the no, in fact, I was talking to my editor just today about the next book I want to write, and, he ta- and we were talking about this book, and he said, you know, each one of these chapters could have been a book. And I yes. said, sa- sa- yes. yeah, that's right. I don't, but... I, I didn't want it to go that way because I don't want to spend my whole life thinking about imperfections, and <laughs> I'd like to get on to happier topics. All eventually. right, all right, all right. We support that. <laughs> we we totally support also uh, taking going out buying Nathan Lent's book, uh, Human Errors. Um, it's and you have another book out on uh, the relationship between humans and animals. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that, the name that was of out it in is 2016. Not so different. Not, Not so, so different. different. Go, go, go take a look uh, and, and, and read those books. They're not they're only interesting yeah. and, and, um, and entertaining, but they're horrifying. <laughs> well, I, In a way. I, I don't think we have anything to gain by not telling the truth. I, I've always said that. Well, um, spoken just like a scientist. Yeah, it's best to know what truth is and reality is, and then you do your best to, uh, to choose our path going forward. And in fact, that's how I end my book, I, 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 with ruminations about the future, because... Oh. You know, you never know that. where you where you are and where you're going until you appreciate your past, your history. Which? And so I think that our flaws and our imperfections really tell us a lot about our past and hopefully inform our path to the future. That's my hope. Okay. Sounds like a great which, final statement, but wait, we have another question. This, I, I, I have a concern. You talk about perpetual life, you know, the healthy, you know, the very healthy human. You understand the repercussion of this? Oh, no, no. I, I have no advocacy for immortality. Okay. No. Because... It's the most anti-evolutionary concept. Not the least of which is that we will no longer have sick days. <laughs> That's true. I mean, think about it. We're all healthy. How do you call in sick? How do you How do call you, out sick? Your boss will never well, buy it. No. Yeah, you're perfect. How can you be sick? Yeah. Right. Get into work. I never thought about that as, a, as an added benefit of our... Uh, of, of our flaws. Yeah. No, but I mean, mortality is the ultimate flaw in a sense, but it's so evolutionary because... Any species who ha- who evolved towards immortality would have fixity. I mean, because once you're born, you're, you've got the genes you, you're going to get. You can't really do much after that. So you're you're not very adaptable as a population. If everybody has really long lifespans, the best, the most adaptable creatures on the planet are the ones with the shortest lifespans. <laughs> yeah, no, so I evolution's been pulling on both ends of that rope. So and, you just uh, keep, I'm, I'm adapting, I'm adapting, I'm adapting. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm dead. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So bacteria generation time about 20 minutes. They outnumber us even on our own yeah, bodies. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. very good. Nathan Lentz, thank, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It was a lot we of will, fun. We will talk again. After speaking with Nathan and Leo, we were scheduled to walk around the block to Mexican Festival on West 102nd Street and Broadway. But that bar had been seized by the federal government, we think due to taxes, And so our crawl ended at Casa Mexicana. Our next podcast recording will be on September 4th from 5 to 6 p.m. at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. We're home again. We will focus on emigration through the stories of people who lived the emigrant experience in these United States. We'll be talking with Joy, a teacher and mother living in Florida and an emigrant from the Philippines. It's time we reestablish the narrative of this country as one that is made up of immigrants, seeking better lives. We can start one story at a time. And subscribe to Bar Crawl Radio on iTunes and Stitcher, and listen to rebroadcasts of Bar Crawl Radio every night at UpperWestSideRadio.com at 9.30 p.m. And Becky and I are off to the Baja Peninsula for a little vacay, So if you must reach us, get over to California, then follow the coastline south all the way till you cannot go any further. You can find us at the bar at Hotel California. That's the Eagles Hotel California in Todos Santos. We will be the gringos drinking margaritas and downing fish tacos. Salud, baby. Have a great rest of the summer. And you know what? We'll see you you in in September. September. All right, you ready? All right, so we're we're gonna we're gonna get going. I brought a copy of the book. Do you need it or want it? No, No, we have it. We have have it. We have a bunch of questions for you. All right, and we're we're not gonna tell you what we're gonna ask. So, oh, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) This is is a quick. Good luck. Is this mine? Uh, Uh, Once once again, the straws. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. going straw-free. We yeah, keep forgetting forgot to, to order say it that. Without straws. I yeah. forgot to order it without straws. Well, we'll, 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 bring, we'll bring that up. Okay, here we go.